I can talk to, I can read these things and, and begin to grasp. And glean what he does for a living. Or yes. at least a portion of what he does for a living. By the way, guys. Um, you haven't been recording. My yet. mic has been off the entire podcast so far. Okay. Shall we start over? We shall start over. <laughs> Jeez, I am so sorry. We're like 40 minutes in. It's oh, it's fuck. fine. I am so sorry. No. You know what? Because I thought it was picking up. I, 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 I did the tappy tap tap thing and I thought it was picking up. It's I've it's all good. Before. We uh, just we'll just kind of better. I find it now than <laughs> <laughs> oh crap. Oh, I'm sorry. That's no. yeah. you know what shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> this next segment is going to be we landed the comet. Yay! Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> The Skeptic Wire. Hello! 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 Hello? It is. is anybody out there? Hello? Episode 177B <laughs> for the 19th of November 2014. I am your B-host, Gary Lawn, and with me this week are Donna Swafford. I think that I'm here. I, I, I was here 40 minutes ago, so I'm not sure if I'm still here. And the fatally embarrassed Greg Perron. I'm finally here! <laughs> so, um, for those of you who Wondered what the hell that little bit was patched on the beginning of the show before the credits. Uh, that was me realizing some 40 minutes into the podcast that my microphone was not on. So um, Strangely, Donna and I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, we, we do this live uh, face-to-face, so we're, we're not sitting here with headphones on or anything. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we should. Um, I usually do, but I don't. Uh, I didn't this time. <laughs> So, um, yeah, um, we're going to do the show all over again for all intents and purposes. And anybody who's a real serious fan, I am sure that on the recording of the rest of the show that you can kind of hear me in the background through the other two microphones. So if you really want to hear the original 40 minutes of this podcast, <laughs> email us at the Skepticwire or post on our Facebook page and we will post that audio if you really, really sadistically want it. But we're going to do this over again. That's right. We're so, going to start over from the beginning. So to review, Gary is back from the middle of nowhere, having not gone into a sinkhole. Napoleonville, Louisiana. Yavol. Yeah. And, and, and Donna is recovering from a week sick, and I'm just an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Happens. You're not an idiot. You're just unobservant. What? Exactly. Aha, uh-huh. that's Just funny. Miss Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of car trips as a child. We would be driving across uh, Long Island or something. And how uh, long is Long Island? Long Island. 
long as as long as the Long Island Expressway and longer when you're a little kid, you're driving along, you're bored, you're playing the alphabet game or something and it's still boring as hell. Or you have the eight track of uh, Sesame Street and the uh, the ABC song or whatever kind of stuff like that. But it wasn't a game we played. Yes, we had eight tracks back then. Um, but it seemed every time we would see something interesting by the side of the road, specifically like a deer or something, we would say, oh, ooh, look, a deer, Randall, look, my little brother, Randall, he would never see it. And he would always get so pissed off that we would point it out, but he couldn't see it because he, everybody noticed it before he did. I remember as a kid being in a long car trip and we were all nagging at my parents and my, my parents said, Okay, a dime for every antelope you find. About 20 minutes later, we come over a hill, and there was thousands of them. And we were just counting away. You know what? I never did get any of that money. <laughs> but you were paid in love. No, it was pretty much a, shut up back there. <laughs> we found 10 million antelope. <laughs> yep. It's got to be at least five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so um, do we want to try the quiz? All right. Well, okay. Version one of the show. I did a quiz on uh, quotes by uh, sciencey astronomer type people. You know what you could do is you could do the intro and just use our answers to as you read them. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to deal with that much <laughs> editing because I don't know what how I responded on our back and forth and all that because my responses are fucking hilarious. Yeah, that was probably the best mm -hmm. recording we ever had. <laughs> yes. Such a shame. So what we're just going to do is um, we're going to take turns reading out the actual quotes that I read to my podcast co-hosts. By the way, I'd like to point out that I was five for five on that. For real. The listeners don't actually know that, Gary. So ah, it doesn't... But when they when they ask for the <laughs> evidence, they will see. Gary, it's not an actual podcast, so it's not canon. I'll give you a canon. <laughs> So we'll just read out the quotes and leave a little bit of space for you to think, hmm, I wonder who that could have been. Is it a Sony or a Nikon? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a Canon. It's a, it's camera. A camera joke. I was already moved on from that, so I <laughs> did no idea what was going on. I was like, leave a little space. It's like... <laughs> Sony Nikon, what's going on here? In case Gary comes up with something. I turned off, I, did I black out and turn off the microphones again? What's going on? <laughs> yes, we're back, we're back in the previous version of this podcast. <laughs> it's all timey-wimey. Yeah. All right. Wobbly. Interstellar. So, uh, the first quote. The oh, earth spoiler. is... <laughs> Sorry. The earth is the only known world to harbor life. Carl Sagan! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have one! <laughs> Bert from Bert and Ernie. <laughs> Very proud of you, Donna. Wow, okay. Um, the Earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the Earth is where we make our stand. And as Donna lovingly told us, that was uh, Carl Sagan. And I'm going to lovingly tell you that was the worst Sagan impersonation ever. <laughs> <laughs> it was not meant to be a Sagan impression because I would not then do a... Uh, 
um, <laughs> um uh. imitation of our next author, which Gary will read. <laughs> because I don't want to be racist. Oh, so, so suddenly you're implying that I am. No, no. We, I said we would all take turns oh, reading quotes for the listeners for a listener quiz. Yeah. I wouldn't even know how to, to emulate uh, this guy. Dinosaurs are extinct <laughs> because they laugh. Wow. That was, that was not the way. Was that your no, attempt at an impression not. of this it author? It was not. It was not at all. What set you off there? I don't know. Oh, dear. I think I th I'll read it like the guys that I've been working with for the last two weeks were. Oh, dear. Dinosaurs are extinct today because they lack opposable thumbs and the brain power to build a space program. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Apparently that quote really tickles Gary. We're gonna. No, I just that was that was Neil deGrasse Tyson as a guy in the bayou. <laughs> we'll knit it on a pillow for you. <laughs> quote like, number quote number three. I like to say that while antimatter may seem strange, it is strange in the sense that Belgians are strange. They're not really strange. It's just that one rarely meets them. Lawrence Krauss. Yes. Who is? science scene he wrote about nothing like seinfeld but that's the podcast a <laughs> podcast a. it's like schrodinger's podcast <laughs> maybe they recorded a podcast maybe they didn't you don't know we could be lying it could be 6 a.m <laughs> for all you know all right so the fourth quote was they say that even the brightest star won't shine forever but in fact the brightest star would live the shortest amount of time feel free to extract whatever life's let Lice lesson. Lice. Whatever lice you can. Extract whatever lice you can while you still have hair, people. <laughs> Feel free to extract whatever life lesson you want from that. And that was by Philip Plate. Philip Plate. Well, that's what it said on the paper. Not and file my... Plate. <laughs> Philae. Philae. Um And the last quote, just because we want to move on from this segment, is... Um, well, I, when I read the first three words, my coworkers, coworkers, cohorts, co-conspirators, what the the, the co-podcasters? Co yeah, sure. The other people on this podcast, <laughs> co-hosts, Don and Gary, maybe. Yes. Just to just to name a couple. Yes. The what I was looking for was co-hosts, and I was wrong. <laughs> Space is big. Space is big. <laughs> you just won't big. believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. I mean, you may think it's a long way down the road to the chemist, but that's just peanuts to space. And that is, of course... If you want to hear that uh, done better, <laughs> there there are... <laughs> Here, you read it. <laughs> there are... There's a, a BBC, and then there's a movie. <laughs> well, you, you spent it with absolutely no, no gravitas at all. You know, space is big. <laughs> well, it is. I, I, I'm, I'm space, space is big. Space big. is big. You just won't believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. I mean, you may think it's a long way down to the road to the chemist, but that's just peanuts to space. I was still embarrassed from having not had the microphone on, <laughs> so that's why. Just get through it. That's the excuse for the it. rest of the show for everything else I fuck up. It's like every bout of sex. Just get through it. I think we just got a little window into Gary's personality there. Uh, wasn't channeling me. <laughs> I 
whereas suddenly uncomfortable. Yeah, you put a big sheet of ice on this conversation. <laughs> kind of like a comet is a big thing of ice. Comets. We landed on a comet. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, uh, not just, not really we, but Filey. Filey Cyrus? That would be uh, Miley Cyrus's brother, I think, landed on a comet um, while singing the song. <laughs> while singing which song? Yeah, I don't know. A comet is kind of like a wrecking ball, wrecking ball of the yes. solar system. Well, it would be if it was Armageddon or Armageddon, depending on how you want to pronounce it. <laughs> But yes, so the European Space Agency. ESA. ESA. ESA, good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Okay, the my co host did not. The earlier one, my joke from the early one about. You all, you just went there. Oh. <laughs> we don't talk about him. My co-host went from not really feeling too bad about the whole microphone thing to wanting to kill me. <laughs> and it's, I can make it look like a boating accident. I'm just going to put that out there. So, yes. The ESA shot a lander at a comet, and it hit three times. Well, yeah, that wasn't the best part of it, but yes. No, but we learned a lot. But We're talking about the Rosetta Filey probe and lander. Going to uh, comet... Cheryumov Gerasenker, something or other. Also known as 67P, but for the sake of clarity, we're just going to call it The Comet from now on. Dun, dun, dun. Because that name is entirely too difficult to say, and people um, screw up Halley's Comet quite often. Halley's. See, I just did it. Eh? 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 Ah, object lesson, I see. So 12 years ago... The European Space Agency shot off a space probe into the nether regions of the solar system. And I well, think not, it, not even to the nether regions. They, they went out, came around Earth twice. I think it shot around, uh, went out almost to Jupiter, uh, came back, uh, I think swung around Mars, and then, not necessarily in this order. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Eventually, Stopped at a Seven Eleven on the side of the the turnpike. <laughs> got gas. Paid its tolls. And uh, finally, finally, as, as, as finally, <laughs> as as uh, I've heard it described, it was like shooting a speck of sand at a bullet from miles away. We actually rendezvoused with the actual comet itself because which it, we had that much about a map weeks involved. Ago. Yeah, uh, and so the the main portion. Of this entire thing happened last week, uh, which was to drop a probe onto the surface of the comet, which was Filey. And so, like like I said, a couple of weeks ago, we caught up to the comet. It was going, what, 34,000 uh, mm. miles per hour. Probably kilometers per hour. Kilometers per hour, sorry. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. And then we gradually... Uh, they got closer and closer, going in sort of a triangular orbit around there. Uh, and then uh, when they were in a couple of kilometers away, they dropped this uh, Filey lander, mm -hmm. fired it at it. <laughs> and the the exciting thing was we were, they were supposed to shoot some 
some harpoons out of there to reel it in and to to make sure that it stayed on the surface. Unfortunately, the harpoons didn't work. If you've been living under a rock, you uh, <laughs> uh, don't know this. Yeah, apparently there were three methods of giving it a relatively soft last landing. One was the harpoons you mentioned. The other one's some kind of gas thruster. So yeah. the the probe farted on the comet. And there was also, quote-unquote, an ice screw. Right, well, the, it, would, it would be pushing away from the comet to push it down, not on the comet. Well, so so if it's coming screaming at the comet, the gas thruster would it slow it down. At the comet. Ah! If it was pushed at, it was going to try to slow it down with the gas thruster, shoot the harpoons in, and then reel itself back in. And then, I, I guess, and then screw, screw probably itself. Screw itself into the ice to sort of secure itself. So Which if you ever put a top back on a soda bottle, you know you always get wrong the first time. So the harpoons didn't work. The screws didn't work. So we learned that, one, the comet is a lot harder than what we thought it was. And then uh, it bounced twice. Yes. So third time's a charm. Unfortunately, third time it also... Kind of uh, landed lopsidedly. Yeah. yeah. yeah one it, leg up in the air. Yeah, one picture I James saw, which I assume was taken from the Rosetta Probe, which is the orbiter that's still up there, made it look like it was right next to a cliff face. So yeah. a combination of the awkward angle of how it came to rest, but also next to this cliff face means that it, 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 they expected it was going to get some seven or so hours of sunlight. I assume every rotation of the comet, it's now only getting one or two hours of sunlight and also not all, all the solar paddles are accessible panels that's what i meant but not, yes not paddles <laughs> <laughs> whack apparently yes we, we sent a probe to play ping pong or snm with the comet i mean there was the whole harpoons and screw thing well there you go but yeah so um it, not entirely as successful as we would have hoped but as gary pointed out in podcast a pretty fucking amazing to uh get a probe get there in the first place yeah. pro flew through the, everything and landed there. It's amazing. And like I said in podcast A, you know, for those of us who don't have the physics background, like Gary and you, that's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. You know, even I'm going like, how the hell did they do that? <laughs> you know, they just like threw it out there and boom, it hit. <laughs> we can definitely say it wasn't guessing. No, not quite so much. I don't think this is how gravity works. No. They did a, re they a really good job of yeah. of pinpointing this thing. It's insanely accurate. And they still were able to do some science with the lander. They got they got 60 hours out of the batteries before they died. Right. And with luck, as it gets closer to the sun, hopefully it will... Power back up. Power back up. Yeah. It's now, in it's, sleep mode or yeah. something. Now, right? interestingly, just as this one's going to sleep... Uh, the Pluto probe, New Horizons, New Horizons is waking up. So it's kind <laughs> of it's really exciting time to be interested in space, yeah. like me. <laughs> yeah. So Gary mentioned earlier that um, part of the problem with the landing was that um, it was apparently a lot harder of a landing than we expected. That the probe, that the uh, comet itself was a more solid object than, than we expected. Um, so. One of the instruments that they were they did power up in the sixty hour window was the uh, Muppets pro uh, instrument. Muppets probe. M M U P U S. Ah. 
which is essentially a little probe and a hammer because they wanted to chip off a little bit of the comet um, and put it into some um, some instruments and figure out Muppets. Analyzing. Yes. Analyzers. Exactly. Muppets. Multi-purpose sensors for surface and subsurface science. Right. And apparently this hammer had four modes on the power of the hammer. The first three were its kind of usual scientific mode. The The fourth mode was, quote-unquote, the desperate mode, which is apparently another descriptor for my dating life as well. And apparently they tried it with the first three modes and nothing was happening, so they just said, oh, fuck it, and they went with the fourth mode and it broke the hammer. So the, the comet was that solid an object, which is why, obviously, the harpoons didn't quite settle, or and when it finally came in screaming at the comet a little too fast, it bounced. Yeah. But there were some other instruments that were, uh, interestingly enough, that were able to collect some samples once it came to rest, but other instruments apparently got some contamination when it bounced. So what some of the scientists have been saying is, Actually, it was kind of fortunate because now we technically have samples from two different places on the comet. Which is cool. And another thing that they may do later on once Rosetta's batteries start to die or reaches the end of its life, they may make it a lander, kind of a jury-rigged lander, and may get a sample from a third space on the comet. Well. Not as many instruments, but it does have like an atmosphere detector because it was Rosetta that first said... Well, the cloud around the the coma around the comet does have some quote unquote organic molecules. So that was kind of first detected in a general sense. So a lot of pictures could be still be taken by Rosetta and some scientific experiments, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so this was actually chock full, and they got sixty hours worth of data back, mm-hmm. which they said is going to keep them going for quite a while, a couple of years worth of of figuring out what what it all means. Yeah. <clears throat> but they were doing uh, acoustic sounding and monitoring and, and seeing what the core of the comet was. Uh, I think there's they, a radar they, device that the Rosetta system uses. There's some radar. There's infrared. There was a drilling thing that went up to 23 centimeters down. So that worked, apparently. Uh, gas analyzer uh, cameras, which is yes. cool. Uh, of course. Which, which you... gives us non-educated people... A glimpse of what is going on and why it's so amazing that and the ability to say this photoshopped, (laughs) yay! Which we'll get to, I suppose, in a moment. Yes, because with every great scientific discovery, exploration, action that we have, there's got to be some dumbass behind a computer in his mother's fucking basement going, (laughs) "Oh my god, it couldn't possibly happen." Well, in this case, the dumbass has a Nemo, <laughs> and that Nemo is Scott Waring. Earlier, before we were going to do the show, I was going to Google this guy Scott Waring and his UFO sightings daily blog, and um, to find out what other skeptics have written about this guy, what else has been said, because apparently, in some of the descriptions I found, he is um, a big believer of the cities on Mars, which I think we've talked about on the show. And also, like, life on Mars. And I would assume he would still be a, a face on Mars or life on Venus yeah, kind of and, believer. Uh, pyramids on the other side of the moon. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, apparently, w- when I Googled Scott Waring and Skeptic, our own podcast Facebook page Yay! came up on the listing. So we have come full circle since we... <laughs> 
we talked about that. But yeah, basically he's one of those kind of spacey conspiracy theorists kind of, and the name of his, his website, UFO sightings daily as he's out there scrounging for anything that has to do with UFOs, anomaly hunting kind of stuff. And it seems mostly that's what he's did with, I don't know if he's just being creative and quote unquote lying allegedly or inspiring other people to lie to him or what, but most of his recent post about the Rosetta mission is uh, is supposedly a whistleblowing email from someone at the ESA who has said that there was a mystery signal detected 20 years ago by NASA and that that was the real reason be behind this whole Rosetta mi mission to find out where this why the signal was originating and what it is because it must be a UFO or something like that. Well, interestingly enough, it is giving off a signal. That's how we found it. Well, uh, <laughs> we, we we probably found the comet originally with just uh, yeah, uh, background, but as as it moves on the background, yes, with with telescopy type yeah. observations, yeah, pictures, yes, but not a radio signal, no. which is what these people are claiming, right? Well, okay, so first of all, I'm sure that ES, the ESA was trying to be clever because there is a a radio signal. A song they called it, right? Uh, that the comet makes only it's not audible. One because it's in space and there's no atmosphere for us to hear it, and two, it's very, very. Uh, it's the forty to fifty millihertz range. Yeah, which right. Is, which you basically humans can't hear. Right. So, so it, it is from from what I've seen on on how the ESA has actually described what is happening is that these are oscillations in its magnetic field that are essentially causing space noise. And everything makes space noise. Jupiter makes space noise. The sun makes space noise. All Galaxies make space noise. It, I, the, the, the Your bodies make space noise. The cosmic microwave background radiation has a signal to it, and it is in the electromagnetic spectrum, which is where radio signals are, but also visible light and infrared and and that's just everything that's out there so something is happening with its magnetic field which is so causing something to go kind of whoop 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 <laughs> what it's it's uh some some sort of uh rave yeah but yeah it, basically this guy scott waring has done a lot of just asking questions, anomaly hunting kind of stuff here, where the big quote he has is, <clears throat> Do not think for one moment that a space agency would suddenly decide to spend billions of dollars and build and send a spacecraft on a 12-year journey to simply take some close-up images of a randomly picked out comet floating through space. So it's a so, lot of... Yeah, just like... Oh, why the fuck did we send a lander to Mars? You know, because we fucking could. Because it's the, <laughs> there. It's the next big thing. Right. But the answer is, honestly, because we can. Yeah. That To me, that's reason enough. Yeah. There was, um, <laughs> there was a couple of articles on this, including um, something on the news.com.au where they also quoted uh, scientist Dr. Walter, 
who um, I'm not sure if he's involved with the Rosetta mission or not, but part of his response to this whole conspiracy theory of the UFO sightings daily guy is that science is can be inspirational. Finding out new stuff is amazing. It's that Carl Sagan again attitude of, isn't this neat what we can do? And isn't this neat what we found? There are organic carbon molecules on this comet. And maybe those are the molecules that seeded the earth after it solidified and brought water and organic chem chemicals, which meant the beginnings of life. Maybe it did that. Let's find out about that because it's interesting. Right. Not just because there has to be some conspiracy behind it. Right. And, of course, it, it, this isn't like a random comment that we just decided to land on. This, right. this has a a uh, period of about 6.5 6 years. So we know where it is, when it's going to be, where it's going right. to be. We pretty much know its entire track. Yeah. Unlike Halley's Comet, which is 75 years, it takes a long time. We could probably send the pro, but the the uh, period of it makes it very difficult to accurately predict where it's going to be despite our knowledge of right the one, gravity one orbit of Halley's we get what at least 10 of this other comet yeah so we we can see this a couple of times and go we know where it's going we can put we can do down. the calculus a yeah. lot better for that yeah same you. thing with when we're trying to discover exoplanets where the ones that are closer into the sun and affect its gravity closer, they orbit more frequently, so we can prove that they exist a lot better than anything that's further out from the planet, whether or not you're using the gravity wobble method or the blotting out the sun method. If it orbits more frequently, you're, it's easier to detect and, yeah. and figure out what its real math is. Mass. And math. <laughs> the math of... <laughs> ah, gotcha. The math of its mass... Which I wasn't going to say because it's too difficult to pronounce. And also things like, okay, if it's passing in front of the sun, we can do the math to figure out what might be some elements in that planet. All that kind of fun stuff. But back to the comet. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the comet has shown that it has some sort of carbon atom configuration on yep. it. Which is, is cool. You know, that's, that's pretty awesome. Because depending on the complexity of the carbon molecules mm -hmm. would indicate some form of life as we might possibly imagine it. Yeah. It could just be simple chemistry, organic molecules like methane or, well, methane is usually produced by life, but not always because they found some on Mars, but other kind of complex molecules like that. And then there's really complex molecules that if we found them, it would be like, okay, where is this coming from? And that would need to great next questions, not a conspiracy, <laughs> which is what this lander was all about. A lot of awesomeness with a tinge of controversy about the announcement about its landing, <laughs> which caused a minor shitstorm. But um, I, I, from what I've seen of it, it is fairly on the minor side, mainly because it wasn't really a, horribly egregious but it's the reason to point it out is because it's yet another thing to point out and that is shirt gate or i don't know if it's shirt gate or not but that's what, that's, that's what i've heard it described as okay so what's name. his name matt taylor matt taylor sure dr matt taylor dr matt taylor so they're getting ready to talk about 
the Philae landing and in all of this jazz. And he's wearing a shirt with basically half naked women on it. Yeah, cartoony kind of See, this is, 50s uh, pinup women okay, kind this of thing. Is the thing. Pin-up. Everyone say, oh, it's half naked women. They're cartoon women. As cartoon women are drawn in cartoons. Right. So it's not like it's a Playboy thing. It's. It, right. It, to me, to, when I saw it, it looks to me a, a guy who likes cartoons and he's wearing a cartoon shirt. Okay, so. I understand the controversy of it saying, hey, look. You're not policing his shirt when he should probably have been wearing a suit or something nice for such an auspicious occasion. Yeah, I concur. Whereas women every nicer. day, every women every day are facing the policing of what they wear. Sure. I mean, we've talked about it, about, you know, the, the dentist, the dental hygienist who had the big boobs and the wife fired her and because right. she was basically built like a brick shit house. Let's just be <laughs> honest here, okay? I always got a different picture for a brick shit house of a girl with big boobs. Okay, but that's... Women are policed more on what they wear because you're either a sex pot or you're frump. Right. You know, and there's, there's no in-between. Some of the criticisms of the shirt was that it was basically kind of 50s pinup girls... That are, it's not like it was a shirt with female scientists on it. It's the representation of women in this context is just as objects. Right. And that is but- not the best symbol, symbolization for young boys and young girls looking up to this and saying, well, what are the contexts of women in this situation? It's as decoration. It, and it's, it, it is not the worst egregious thing, but it is one other thing on top of all the other little things. I would just uh, say it's probably an inappropriate shirt to wear for... For, for, for an for, announcement for, like this stuff? Yeah, for, for something like this. And I think that people are pulling it way out of proportion. No, and I... I as a female, I completely agree with you. Because what they're missing is the fact that his boss is a woman. This should be the story. Not, oh, look, he's wearing a sexist shirt. How about the fact that when they did the announcement, there were no women in the thing, and his boss is a woman. These are the type of things that young women need to see. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about STEM research and about getting young girls involved in science and technology. Show them actual women doing it. <laughs> Being you a know? part of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, rather than concentrating on the fact that somebody wore a shirt that... That could be offensive. That it, could be... Honestly, uh, it makes me go back several years to the original skeptic controversy, Elevator Gate. Because essentially, uh, Rebecca Watson said, hey, this... When you ask someone that kind of question of, hey, you want to go up to my room for coffee in an enclosed space, it's kind of – it's a little on the creepy side. So cut it out. And that's really what the response mostly has been by reasonable thinking people of it really wasn't appropriate, one, for a a presentation like that to be in such an informal shirt, but also – just think about the fact of this is the the images on the shirt are only of um, prize women that are you know just decoration, 
think about that, maybe not do that next time. And I think that's the message that should be done. It's not an appropriate shirt for the situation. And also, like Donna said, if you're going to try to get girls into STEM, don't just wear shirts where girls are decoration. You know what? This is what I'm going to say. Okay. As somebody who has been policed on what they wear, mm -hmm. you know, because I frequently get told I'm either not dressed up enough or... I'm dressed up too much. Especially like <laughs> when I put on makeup, it freaks everybody out. And a dress. Um, it's gracious. Right, exactly. Um, but uh, hold on. Hannah Databoy had a really great quote from Violet Rose that says, It's illegal for most women to go topless in most cities, yet you can buy a magazine with of a woman without her top on at any 7-Eleven. So you can sell breasts, you just can't wear them. I have a very different perspective than you, and I have a very different perspective than Gary because of the fact that I, You're a woman. I, yeah, I have a vagina, people. <laughs> you know, to me, a shirt like this is so minor. It is so fucking minor. Like we were talking about the other week about the intactivist argument. Don't blow shit outer proportion right. because it takes away from the argument complain about the fact that his boss wasn't even invited on the panel to discuss it this would have been a great way to say for everybody to go hey look we have a woman here who's who's smart and sciencey look <laughs> so know. i mean i think the the shirt was a faux pas but it sounds like gary definitely but it sounds like you as well donna don't think it was. Okay, I think that it is a faux pas, and I seriously do not understand how, when he walked in, somebody didn't go, holy fuck, take that off? <laughs> really? I seriously, I don't understand how somebody went, Dude, yeah, you're wearing, let's put you on TV in that shirt. You're wearing that? Yeah. Right. It, especially, yeah. especially when this was probably broadcast into classrooms. Mm -hmm. considering that it is cartoony and I, I understand that, you know, that it's not real women. It's not playboy models on it or anything, but it is being broadcast into classrooms. That's where I kind of go. Are you doing a think of the children's kind of thing? A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Well, the only image they see is the shirt with not, you know, basically I disagree. I don't, girly I, girls. I don't, I don't think that, I think they see a, a guy, a, a scientist who's part of this, who's cool. But it wasn't like Mohawk guy. Oh, from, oh, so it wasn't like Mohawk. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, I think no, uh, it, it, the, the shirt is so minor. Right. And it's inappropriate. Okay, fine. But, but you don't think the shirt itself is inappropriate. And the guy likes... No. No. No, I don't think the shirt is inappropriate. I do. Because you're a misogynist. <laughs> and I'm no, not. I'm joking. But my, my point about joking. Mohawk guy is... Why, yeah, was, why, why, is it, why is it bad to like a beautiful woman? Why, why, is, is that, if that's effectively what you're saying. Oh, well, he's wearing... What I heard was... The oh, shirt is full of just sex pot women. Okay, so what? So he should have, what, uh, uh, the queen on there? In, in the bikini? <laughs> in the no. bikini would still be the same problem, Gary. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so 
my answer is, is it was inappropriate in that the context of the setting, he probably should have been wearing some sort of suit, sweater, whatever, yeah. you know, he should have been more appropriate, not appropriate, but. Okay. Because there's, there's also, there's also an image problem of scientists of being stodgy, tie wearing IBM. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, that's sexy. <laughs> to some people, but, but to a lot of kids, it's not. Right. So you have this guy. Okay. Again, inappropriate, sure, but you know he's got tattoos. He's a smart guy who is still an individual, and he's not part of this government machine, right? And I think that that's probably one of the reasons that they interviewed him because he stands out. Granted, he was standing out for not the best reason, but he stands out as being a guy who's kind of cool, just like Mohawk guy. Now you're focusing on the fact that he's wearing a sexist shirt, okay? Mm-hmm. It's blown out of proportion. But you you don't think the shirt is sexist in that context, is what you've been saying. That the shirt is no problem. If he wants to wear the shirt, he can wear the shirt. Right. And see, that's that's where I fall in this is... (laughs) You know what? Let him wear the shirt. He, He obviously, once it was explained to him, he felt bad. And let's give him the props here for giving a genuine, proper... Apology. It wasn't any of this, I'm sorry that you felt bad shit. This was, I've learned a lesson. I'm very sorry. Let's move on. And the the little clip that has been posted, at least that I've seen, you could tell um, that the, the inappropriateness of the shirt, how he was attacked, came through in his apology, in how worked up he was about it that it brought him to tears that he had been this is what he's known for now yeah and and that affected him very highly and i would agree that it was blown out of proportion for the offense i think minor that it was so it it was too much the reaction to it but it he did say you know what it was inappropriate at the time, and I'm sorry. You know, I obviously offended a lot of people, and I'm, I apologize. And and that's good. That was the good response. And I and, and everybody, even the people who have strongly criticized him about it, have said he's apologized. That's Let's good. Move Let's move on. Yeah. So right, that's and that's good. that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, we do have the bigger the bigger conversation of. Where were the women who obviously had worked on this, including his boss? Why were they not there in this conference? You know, Mm -hmm. his boss should have been there, if nothing for the fact of, and you're going to hate this, think of the children, a role model for young women to emulate. (laughs) See, that's that's a different way of thinking of the children. (laughs) When you st- usually when you hear think of the children as usually oh shock horror dismay whereas if you're giving them a good role model that's a good thing you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. so it's right. like children can hear curse words right it's not going to destroy their precious little minds you know but it's good to have good role models which they can emulate right now the shirt it- is not a good role model for them to emulate 
But and it, and it but was the only what? presence of women in that context, which compounded what it was, which was not the most appropriate, and it was the only representative representation of women at that point in that conference, which doubled its holy fuck factor. <laughs> right. But in the end, it's a shirt. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not like he was there on TV trying to lick a monitor and gr- play grab ass. Okay. <laughs> he wasn't, you know, there, there are so many worse things that he could have been. And it, it wasn't like, oh, I, I don't know what company did this, but like you have like some Walmart, JCPenney, Target store selling, selling a t-shirt like Barbie says math is hard for girls or, you know, right. some really derogatory thing that would have been even worse. Right. <laughs> But in the end, it's it's a shirt, mm-hmm. okay? In all of my experiences as a woman, as a woman with, in a program where predominantly only men, now working in a job field that is predominantly only men, I have to deal with so much worse. This is why I can't get upset about a fucking shirt. You're making the pick your battles argument. Yes. Where my argument from this has mostly been that it's a, it's one more thing. It's an, it's another straw on the camel's back kind of argument. And they're yeah, both kind it, of, you see both sides of, of this to say it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just a straw, but it's a one more little thing. Yeah. But, but it is just my little. flip side of this is, is my experiences as a woman. If I worried about every shirt that fucking offended me, I wouldn't be able to do my jobs. If I had to worry about every misogynistic statement that I have ever had to deal with on a film set or in my job as an anthropologist, I wouldn't be able to do my job. Right. So to me, a shirt in the end is simply a shirt. On top of it, the fact that the guy genuinely apologized. Mm -hmm. But but that's that's the good thing that's come from, from this, that as you said... Sometimes you cannot hit every single um, comment that's made, every single offensive shirt, every single offensive thing that happens. But if no one ever says anything, nothing will change. And people have said something, and some people reacted a little too strongly, but they ha- something has been said, an apology was made, and now something can improve. Right. You know, but to me, this is... Arguing about a shirt, it's like the Dear Miss Lima statement. You know, Richard Dawkins is saying, oh, well, we can't argue about this shit in America because, you know, Arabs have it worse. Okay. To me, there's just, there, there reaches a point where you, and maybe it's just me as a woman, I have to pick my battles. And if my battle is, oh, well, hey, fucking move your ass, Donna, swat, swat, versus a shirt, I'm going to go after the guy who's swatting my ass. Again, it so, depends on the context, the the bigger battle to fight. And, yeah. You know, if, if, if you're worried about the – are you worried about your planet blowing up or not supporting life anymore? Or are you worried about a, a black hole? You know, what are you going to worry about now? Maybe maybe we should all just leave the planet and find a new place to live. Or at least that's my basic understanding of the plot. <laughs> you know what? That, I have not seen the movie. <laughs> that is actually a relatively good – sort of assessment of it is. interstellar. And it's certainly a better reason to leave the planet than 
for religious freedom. <laughs> well, okay, so wait, was that a Kirk Cameron movie? <laughs> well, no, I was thinking. I was thinking that's what happened with the uh, pioneers coming over to the United oh, States. Yeah. So, oh, well, let's just leave the country. <laughs> so I, well, I just had it in my mind that oh, well, you know, all the all the crazies left the planet. Of course, they'd have to well, pray themselves up on. there. But sorry. part of the reason that we were leaving this planet in Interstellar spoilers. Oh, oh yeah, uh, hold uh, on. Uh, uh, we are going to talk about the movie Interstellar now. If you do not want spoilers, if you're not like me and you haven't seen it and you don't really particularly care because it's going to be a while before you see it and you're okay with spoilers, keep listening. But if you do not want spoilers, stop now. Go look at the show notes either on the Facebook page or the blog page or the actual episode itself. Find out when the next topic starts, which I'll helpfully put in a time code for you, and then fast forward to then. And then once you've listened to Interstellar or seen it, um, only listened, I guess, or if you're blind. Or listened to the audiobook. On the <laughs> then come back and listen to us later on. Ready? Break. Okay, so... Darth Vader's Luke's father. <laughs> <laughs> in Interstellar, they are leaving because Earth is dying. But what is really fascinating in is this... Is it kind of a rosebud situation where it drops a globe and... No. No? <laughs> what is really... I haven't seen that movie either. <laughs> what is really fascinating about the movie Interstellar is that the majority of people on Earth have basically gotten into science denialism. The yeah. vast majority. And in fact, when he has to... When Matthew McConaughey has to go to the school... And talk about his well, son. Let me his... let me get this out of the way first. All right, all right, all right. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so he <laughs> has to go movie. and talk about. He has to go and talk to the school about his son and his daughter, and basically the school says, "Well, your son is going to be a farmer because the world at that point needs farmers." They so it's kind of a, a dystopian future where people are assigned jobs. Yeah. Not really. Yeah, they're assigned jobs, but basically all the crops are becoming blighted okay and so they need farmers and corn is kind of the last it's the last crop, crop that still survives that still survives like blighted. okra has died off and all of these other things but basically Brought to you by the corn council <laughs> so they lots of, lots of sugary drinks in the future yeah. he's sitting there talking to these this principal and this school counselor and he's talking about you know he needs to go to college because we we need to to look forward and in, into scientists. space. And they're basically the school counselors like, oh no, that moon landing is totally faked. We know it, and they're yelling at him about his daughter, saying, no, I've seen the footage. It's not faked. My dad went into space because he was a former astronaut. But it's like total science denialism. And I was like, you sit there and you go, this. Is actually happening in Texas. This is Congress. <laughs> yeah. and, and well, they're not yelling at him. They they have a, a slight. They have a moment where he's amazed that they're denying the lunar landings. He's also mad because the son doesn't do well on his aptitude test, and therefore he's going to be a farmer. farmer. So, so they can't at what is he thirteen or eleven or something, right? And so they've said at this age, before he's even knows anything, they're like. Well, he obviously doesn't have the aptitude to go to college, therefore he won't go to college because everybody has everybody must farm. Right? Okay. So that's what happens. Right. And so but the cool thing is that McConaughey's daughter <laughs> well character. Right. McConaughey and, and his daughter, he's 
happy to pull her out because then he can teach her science and critical thinking. And in fact, there's a lot of teaching how to think ideas on, on how science works, just small things, you know, um, because like she's experiencing weird things that happen in her bedroom. She has, and a, he's, she has a ghost, a quote unquote ghost, ghost in her bedroom. And he says, run some experiments, do some observations and tell me what you see. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. You know, rather than going, Oh, there's no such thing as ghosts. Yeah. It's it's kind of like the parent whose kid comes to them and says, Mommy and Daddy, is there really a Santa Claus? And the parent actually responds the good way, which is, okay, well, tell me what you think. Yeah. You know, let's reason this out. So that's some good lessons as yeah. well. That's cool. So I was, I'm, I'm impressed with pretty much the entire movie. <laughs> pretty much? Well. I, I've heard mm-hmm. some other good things, like all the actual scientists you do see. There, It is about half and half men and women, so it's yeah. positive role models there going back 10 minutes. That sort of thing. Yeah. So Although, that's good. As as we discussed, it doesn't. Te- uh, there there's two important female uh, scientists. One is McConaughey's daughter. As she grows up, yeah. he basically jets off to to go and find new places new to planet. live. So there was a previous expulsion of scientists. They they went out and they were like previous try. Okay, right. the, they didn't expulsion no. their. <laughs> in 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 this universe, fifty uh, something years ago, a wormhole was created out near Saturn. Okay, and so they know it's a wormhole. They know it was created because it's stable, and so they sent out a couple of and uh, missions, uh, three three missions. Rosetta to, number five, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, but people to find to find planets. a habitable planet right. so that Earth can be basically. All the people can be taken to new places. And so there's three of them that they know that they've got uh, stuff back from. And so that's where they're going is they're going to find out if these people survived and what the planets are. Mm -hmm. So you've got the one scientist, Murph, Matthew McConaughey's daughter, who basically he leaves when she's like 10 or 11. And so she grows up and becomes a scientist because of basically her father leaving and her love of science and, and everything else. You have the main scientist daughter who goes out with McConaughey to go and reinvestigate these previous missions. Right. So it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Do the women actually no. talk to each other? No. No. Well, no. they don't actually talk to each other, but the one overhears. Yeah. I don't think that would count. No, it doesn't count. <laughs> doesn't count. So... They have, so you have the two, like I said, you have two scientists, you have two women scientists, and one actually ends up going off in a a different direction from McConaughey, because they're basically like, at this point, like, we only have so much time and energy, so, boom. And she's in love with the other guy, which, ugh, hated that speech. (laughs) Well, do we want to give the big spoiler? Sure. Okay. So, the, the reason why she goes off is... They only have enough fuel. They can either go back through the wormhole or they can go to this other planet. The other planet is saying that there's air, there's uh, uh, biocarbons, Nibbins. there's a whole bunch of things. So it's basically Earth-like planet. So she wants to go there and McConaughey wants to go back, despite the fact that they got caught in a gravita- gravity uh, sink and have the everybody's advanced about 30 years. 
Right. So he's they're on a planet that has. It's right next to a black hole. Next to a black hole. So one year on that planet is like seven year, or no, one hour on that planet is like seven years. Seven years. So it's relativistic effects. Very good. Yes. So basically, uh, they decide that they're going to send one of the really cool robots into the black hole and see if it survives. Into the black hole? Into the black okay. hole. Because they, they, they're going to use the black hole to slingshot, to get the, the power to get out to the next planet. Well, McConaughey decides, knows that he can't also, they're going to have to lose weight to do that. So he also goes into the black hole. Oh. Yeah. So you have, you have and a... And then it becomes 2001 Space Odyssey. Right. And he <laughs> ends up like in this sort of fifth dimension and he's Murph's ghost. So when he goes back to Earth, he's sort of trapped between... He's out of phase, like in a Star Trek episode. Yeah, right. Exactly. And now this is what pissed me off about this movie. First of all, the the moment he went to the black hole and he survived... He should have been spaghettified. Well, yeah, but there's... Yeah, some reason why I may not have. Wibbly-wobbly kind of explanations. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah okay. future people may actually be able to use gravity to their own thing, and black holes, they may be able to use them to their own purposes, right? So, first of all, the moment he goes in the black hole, and the first visual, I'm like, oh, he's behind the bookshelf. Second, I realized immediately that all of those things, all the bookshelves, that was time. Yeah, I don't know if it was just my mindset or whatever. I was like, boom, I know exactly what's happening. What pissed me off <laughs> is, so, the reason that she thinks there's a ghost is because books fall off and they're actually in, in, in code, right? Right. And he sits there behind the wall doing this to his daughter and getting really mad that the daughter, who's only 10 or 11 or whatever, isn't understanding and he's like yelling at her. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you have all of time to play with. <laughs> go find her when she's an adult and do the same thing. Right. And that's, it really pissed me off that he, he was like, don't don't let him go. Don't let me go when he leaves. It's like, go to the next part where you can find her when she's older, you moron. <laughs> so, now, I, I, I don't know if he, if there was a problem. Maybe they cut out a portion where, uh, it, actually, it was, it was 2001 meets um, The Abyss. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe he was running out of air. Or um, um, Contact, the Jodie Foster and film. And Contact, yeah. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of different movies kind of roiled in, only this is a little bit more science Right. <laughs> but, like I said, they, I mean, there were some gaping plot holes. Like, I mean, they, they, they make this thing. They've got these really cool robots that, like, spin. They're really neat. They basically look like, um, like uh, almost like three, three columns. They're, 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 they're the cube. They're, they're the big, not, not the cube, the, the, uh, uh, not the obelisk. Right. From, from 2001, you know, the big square Big thing. rectangles. Yeah, the right. big rectangle. But they break apart, and so they have, they can have up to like six legs and arms. And so they, but when they're at rest, they're just the obelisk. Okay. It's a really clever right. robot. But, like, yeah. there's this scene where um, Anne Hathaway's character and the, the guy... The guy who dies. The guy who dies. <laughs> the red shirt. <laughs> the red shirt of the group. They're, they're on this planet that has water. 
It's completely covered with water, water. but you can walk. It's only a couple inches. Okay. Deep. But it basically causes giant waves. Because it's the one that's right next to the black hole. Right. Tidal waves because of the gravitational force. Right. Okay. Huge tidal waves. So she's all like, no, I've got to get this information back. So she's trying to gather the information and this wave is coming. And the the robot does the spin thing and it's like, boom. And I was like, okay, that's fucking cool. But if you've got the ability to build these robots that have a sense of humor, that have essentially <laughs> basically been anthropomorphized. So they're also the robots from Black Hole? Kind of. Sure. Okay. Disney film. Anyway. Yeah. Right. So With, they make the comment that the reason that they couldn't send the robots in the first place is because robots lack the ability to basically think on the fly. It has a fucking sense of humor that you can basically grade. Like, it's like 70%, 60%, 65%, 90%. Because yeah. the robot Kip is like basically a giant smartass <laughs> to Matthew McConaughey. And it's beautiful but if you've got all of that ability to create that sort of robot, why the fuck didn't you send that in the first place? Right. <laughs> a lot of um, science-y authors, probably Tyson, Phil Plate, and all those kind of people, talk a lot about the fact that what makes sense for someone to colonize some other area of the galaxy because of the vast spaces between planets is to send replicating robots yeah. that have the knowledge and intelligence and at least some basic intelligence and, and to figure these kind of things out. But you say they're really kind of almost Star Wars level personalities yeah. of these robots. They'd be good enough to go and colonize and figure out what's going on, at least to determine if something is livable or not. Right. And, exactly. and for, for livable or not, you just need some good scientific instruments, not a human who looks at it and says, kind of looks good. Well, yeah, a human can't look around and say, yep, there's oxygen. <laughs> and that's one of the things that they bring up is, okay, so that, you know, these, these original guys have gone out to these, these three places. So the first one you find out has basically crashed on the planet with the waves and it's just sending back an automatic signal. So they go to the second planet, which is supposed to be the, the smartest man in the world went and he's been trapped there and he's basically doesn't give a shit. All he wants to do is to get back home and he's nutted the fuck up. And he doesn't care if he has to kill Matthew McConaughey. He doesn't care whatever. He's going home. So it's, it's played almost, by Matt Damon. It's oh, almost, I was gonna be, that was going to be the one non-spoiler. Matt Damon! Matt <laughs> Damon. So it's almost also got some kind of Gulliver's Travels elements to it of the three different places that they visit to figure out. Yeah, pretty and, much. And they tell you different... Hush. And they tell you different things about humanity and uh, tell different stories like the, the, the tidal wave planet and then, oh, well, there's nobody there or the planet where there's the scientist uh, it's, it's more just like, being it, selfish and wants to escape. It tells you something about humanity. It's a different story. Yeah. Uh, or you can, or the, the, the three uh, Goldilocks and the three bears. <laughs> that too. But. I was trying to be a little but bit more also, literary. But like I said, they've also got, I mean, it's got, it deals with humans in isolation because there's the guy that's basically left on the, the, the ship when they go down to investigate the first planet, he could go into, you know, stasis, 
but he ends up choosing not to for a while and he ends up being on the ship for 27 years and he goes a little loco himself mm-hmm. but he's not like oh my god i have to kill you now that you're back because you left me and i've been alone <laughs> he's just been like i didn't know when you were going to get back right and i i felt guilty going just being able to sleep through it And anybody who has worked from home knows it takes a lot less than 27 years to go a little stir crazy. (laughs) Wouldn't know anything about that. (laughs) But it's it's a good science fiction film. It's a good psychological film. Mm. Uh, It does talk about the human condition and everything else. So they're not emotionless robots. The, The big criticism I've heard is lots of great science, really cool graphics and then yeah. it gets a little wooey at the end it, well it makes the the end makes sense within the confines of relativity but it's it's kind of a hollywood ending <laughs> right it is a hollywood ending and i'm i'm gonna be the one i'm gonna fucking spoil it again so he comes back he ends up getting out of the black hole and he basically gets back to earth when murph is his dying. daughter his daughter, his daughter dying, is yeah. dying. She's old. Um, she can barely make the trip to Saturn, which is where he's been, which is where he ends up. Right. And he basically ends up wanting to go back out because he wants to reunite with Anne Hathaway and see if that third planet was the success that they think it is. Because part of the the argument that they have to make while they're in space looking at these places is they have two options. Which is, do they have enough energy to get back to Earth and bring people back to this new planet? But they've also got embryos. Can they basically just let Earth die and say, fuck everybody on this planet (laughs) and start all over? Huh. Which is uh, part of the overarching plot, as you find out. Because there's an A and a B plan, and it turns out the B plan is an important one. Uh, So it's... there's, There's a... A lot of depth to the to the film, uh, but again, the, the ending. You're, yeah. you're, I don't know. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to see him get uh, spaghettified myself. Right, but, <laughs> but it's first off visually, it's impacting. Yeah. It is just truly an impacting movie. If you get the chance to see it in the seventy millimeter, as God, aka Christopher Nolan, intended for you to see it, <laughs> highly recommend seeing yeah. it. Now, I remember seeing briefly something about how people were saying that the graphics for this film, especially the black hole graphics, actually re- kind of reverse and told scientists something about black holes. Yeah, uh, Kip Thorne, the physicist, uh, is... Who one of the robots is named after. Yeah, <laughs> is one of the... Uh, it was a consultant on this. And so they, the visual arts guys wanted to know how to build a black hole. And so he did the math on what it would look like, how things would be lensing from different portions. And so they built the model and they learned that I I think, I think the original one uh, I concept was a black hole. You would get a disc that Mm -hmm. would spread out. And, and so that was what, what everyone thought but it turns out that it would lens in obviously three dimensions. So right. you'd also get uh, uh, one going up and another going down, slightly in in the. W- but the way it's 
done. It's not like they, – they call it a halo, but it's not like two discs. It's kind of like interconnecting sort of racetracks in three dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's really pretty cool. Yeah. And so he says that because of this, because of the math he's done and because of the visualizations and the math they did to do that, that he's going to get a couple of papers out and maybe – Maybe we'll actually be able to really find the black hole, and and maybe maybe we've actually got some pictures of black right, hole. Try now. to actually look at it because right yeah. now, I think they've tried to visualize black holes with actual telescopes, but mainly they would only see the accretion disk right. around it. Or at you know the original discoveries were just they saw how other suns were gravitationally affected by. A black hole, and sometimes they can see the accretion disk, but that's pretty much it yeah. so far. Well, well, this this implies that you're going to be able to see a circle around because it's going to. You're not going to be able to see into the black hole itself, but you'll see uh, the around. gravitational lensing of the objects behind it. Right. Yeah. And it's going to crush those and make those brilliant. That makes it into into a, a band of light. Huh. Okay. So, and, so it'll stretch the light. And compress it and make it more brilliant <laughs> at the same time. So it's kind of cool. A funnel for light. Sure. Yeah. I do want to make one other thing. I also, the day that I saw um, Interstellar, I saw the theory of everything. I got invited to the press screening here in San Antonio for it. Um, absolutely amazing biopic of Stephen Hawking. It shows that he has a sense of humor. Eddie Redmayne, I'm firmly believing will be nominated for an Academy Award for his performance as Stephen Hawking, possibly Felicity Jones as Hawking's wife. Amazing movie. I highly recommend going to see it. This is one of those movies that you will be a better person for having seen <laughs> it. Although it does gloss over certain, how shall we say, unlikable aspects of Stephen Hawking's life, like the fact that he dumped his wife for his research assistant right. and then dumped her. Yeah. <laughs> Because it, it definitely uh, plays out trailer-wise as a romance film. And it is. It's it a is. lovely film that way. But yes, he did. He was a player. They Well, they, they basically, they drop the hint. They they say, you know, the hints are there that there's something going on between Stephen Hawking and his assistant. But they, at the very end, it basically says they got divorced and he... He remarried shortly thereafter his assistant. They sanitize it. It is very sanitized. But it is it is a well-done film. Um, I, I seriously, other than the sanitation <laughs> factor of it, I can't say anything bad about the movie. Okay. Um, it's a movie that honestly will make you a better person for having seen it. <laughs> but not, not any better at physics. Yeah, because I still don't understand shit about physics. <laughs> the only physics that I understand is you only need 90 newtons of force to break a bone. Okay, that's scary. Very, very small newtons. Because Newton was, I think he was, you know... Five, well, you you, you can squish them down, make them really flat, and you stack them up. The strawberry ones are much better than the fig ones. <laughs> I think it all just depends on it. Welcome to Newton Chat. <laughs> I like the apple ones myself. I don't think they make those anymore. Yeah, they do. Oh, yes. Oh, they do. <laughs> no, I'm Maybe hungry. it's a regional thing. No, I'm no I hungry. get them here. 
You mean over on my side of town? <laughs> that could happen as well because there are things like I've found at one grocery store of the same chain that is not at the other grocery store of the same name. You mean the one grocery store we have here in town? <laughs> but also in other places I have lived. There's the Quickie Mart. Oh, really? Does um, Apu work there? <laughs> could be, could be. Yes, Apu, the shit that lands on the, the comet. <laughs> fucking phenomenal <laughs> well all right i think that brings us to the close yeah we learned anything I don't the, know the official anything. show is probably going to be about an hour hour 10 <laughs> even though we've been going for over two hours <laughs> yeah happens i'm all like talked out and stuff so we didn't learn anything this weekend except that we uh shot something in a comet uh it was a comet it's not a spaceship uh, it's math is cool. Sometimes uh, people wear offensive shirts, but it's a shirt. And someone shot a movie. And someone shot. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Yay. That's all that happened in the last three weeks. That's and right. Greg learned how to check all three microphones. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't you know. Would, you would hope so. <laughs> we don't know if he checked ours. <laughs> no, see, I, I see the little squiggles of. Of graphical stuff ah, on the, the recording graphical program. representations of our melodious voices. The waveforms. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us this week. And I guess we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. I think, Bye. 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 I think I'm here next week. Oh, hold on. Can we add one thing to the podcast? A still recording. Awesome. February 27th, 28th, and March 1st. The Secular Texas and Secular Coalition of America Texas chapter is hosting their first convention. Come out. If you live in Texas, they're going to be doing a lobby day, talking about, you're going to be having a lot of um, secular speakers, uh, such as Jamila Bay, Daniel Moran, who recently ran for Congress here in Texas. Come out, meet some people. I will be there because I'm helping run this. So... <laughs> At least one third of the skeptic wire will be there. <laughs> Hopefully the other two. So Texas Secular Convention. Yes. So please come out and support Texas Secularists because we fucking need it. <laughs> Judging this by the true. last election. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the PodPosted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. That name is entirely too difficult to say, and people um, screw up Haley's comment quite often. Haley's. See, I just did it. Eh? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, object lesson, I see. I object. Apparently. <laughs> and my laptop just froze. <laughs> like a comet! Oh, we're not doing. <laughs> We've done that joke already. Yes.
<laughs> Gary is apparently praying to his computer. Uh, Kalima! 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 <laughs> it's All I have to say is Max haven't gone out, but you know. <laughs> I Yeah, don't but know what's those computers are just like 60 bucks. You can just buy another one. It's Ubuntu anyway. It's not even it's it's not like it's Windows. This is supposed to be as as uh, Apple-like as you could possibly get without actually having an four Apple. times the cost of a computer. Teacher Mike would be proud of you. <laughs>